Hi, this is Randy Greaser, co-author of The Culture Question, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Randy Greaser. Randy is the founder and chief vision officer of Achieve Center for Leadership. He's the author of The Ordinary Leader and is passionate about sharing the importance of creating a healthy workplace cultures. And he believes that leadership requires us to always be intentional about what we do and how we do it. Randy lives and works in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and is here to talk about his book, The Culture Question, How to Create a Workplace Where People Like to Work. Welcome, Randy. Thanks for having me on the show, Bill. It's great to have you here. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Bill, I have a lot of people who influence and inspire me, but I'm going to narrow in on my high school basketball coach. It's, coaching is, is one of those things where you spend a lot of your time developing people and encouraging people. That's what I remember about my coach. He was always there helping me grow a little bit, not just as a basketball player, but also just as a person as well. And some of those insights that he, he, he taught me, I've carried on with me throughout the rest of my life. What did you call him when you were in high school? And what's one of those insights? I call him Coach. Just go and or Coach B. Sometimes his last name, Coach B. He he really obviously hard work in the basketball. That's one of the things. Most of the things I've done in life have been a result of, of working hard at something. And but also dialing in on what you need to work on. And it's no different than a, the book that we're talking about today, the culture question. Like anything that you want to get better at, you gotta dial in on it. So if you're gonna be a better rebounder, you can't just try harder. You actually have to think through what does it mean to be a better rebounder. And the same is true for culture. And it's in the same way that it's important to not just scurry harder or fight more for the rebound under the basket. It helps to have some coaching to say, look at the angle of the ball and look for the reflection of it coming off the basket. And now we can practice and prove it and start to drill that in so it becomes instinctual. Absolutely. It's important to know that you can transfer these skills from the basketball court into business life. Do you remember a time maybe in one of your first jobs where you suddenly realized you wanted to get better at something and you sought out either a coach or some way to have that deliberate practice experience in order to improve a skill or a process or a method that you really valued. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on is recognizing some of my weaknesses and then knowing that I'm not going to get a lot better at them. So I better surround myself with other people who are good at it. There's certain things I do need to get better at though. And I seek those people out. I seek those people out with more experience than me, with more expertise than me. And while they're not a formal coach to me, I'm always asking people questions. When I meet people in the airport, you know, that they're doing unique things, I ask them questions. Tell me about a time, maybe early in your career, one of your first jobs, when you started to take responsibility for asking these questions to improve on something that you wanted to learn or become better at. I've often been a speaker, right? Even in my early 20s, I started doing a little bit of internal coaching and speaking and training within our within an organization I was working in. And I needed to get better at it. And I would watch videos of other people doing it. And I would talk to my, my at the time, my boss and ask him, like, how do I go about doing this and get insights and ideas from him? And again, it's being willing and open to ask people. We're in the business of really providing professional development training and resources around helping people like where they work. We believe that everyone should 
like where they work. And so our coaching, our training, our resources, our books are focused on that end. It's remarkable because I've read statistics just like you have about how many people are just putting in the time about. So I've read one statistic that said that two thirds of people are either disengaged or actively disengaged from their work. Two out of three people don't care about what they're doing. And that has a huge impact, not just on productivity, but also what it's like to be on a team with people who are not focused on helping contribute, helping advance the business's goals. Have you found that to be true in your work? And what is one of the symptoms or what are a couple of the symptoms that people experience when they realize that things can be better and they need some help to make it better? Yeah, absolutely. That's true. We, we do a lot of research in this area. And when we ask people qualitatively, there's a lot, why don't you like where they work? And they say, the work that I do has no meaning. The people I work with are terrible human beings. It's like WWF wrestling, right? We fight all the time. Or my boss is a jerk, right? And so there's a litany of reasons why people don't like where they work. And of course, in order to create places where people like where they work, organizations need to hone in and dial in about what's going on in their specific organization so that they can fix those things that are getting in the way of people liking where they work. So wait a second. People listening should realize that you can't fix something until you've identified it and the underlying causes that make it an issue that's relevant in their, their management structure or their recognition processes. Absolutely. And it's different for every organization, right? That's why I can't can't go here and say, this is what's going on. This is why there is an engagement. You need to know your specific organization. Why don't people like, ask people that question. If you think that people don't, just go ask them. Say, since that you're not as engaged as you were when you were here a year ago, I'm wondering why. What, what, and ask this question. What are we doing as a leadership team? What is our organization doing to help you be engaged or to cause you to be disengaged? You've asked this question to hundreds of companies. What's an example of a time when you suddenly became aware, cognizant of of people saying things that fulfilled a pattern that you knew how to address. Can you share an example of when you asked through a survey like this and people started responding and you knew how to build a program to help them address that particular issue in their organization? Sure. We have an assessment tool. It's available for free on our website. And when we work with an organization, we dial it in and, and, and gather information from all their staff and use it. And it helps us dial in on one of one of five key issues and key topics. We've, we've seen that there usually is one of five things going on within an organization when the culture isn't. And that can either be that an organization doesn't communicate their purpose and values. And you asked for an example. So let me give you an example uh, about Larry. Larry works in the VP of HR of a large healthcare operation in Toronto. And, and there were issues within the health around engagement and around people not liking where they work. And when we did research, what we found is that staff were feeling feeling that their purpose and values that the organization purported, how it is, all organizations have these wonderful, beautiful missions and values and purpose, but on the ground, they're not actually living them out. It's not actually happening. And so when we did our research within this organization, we found that was one of the things that was really missing. That was one of the things that was getting in the way of people feeling good about coming to their work. People work in healthcare, people work in social services because they want to contribute to, to a better society. And yet when they feel Feel like the mission and vision of the organization isn't authentic, they lose interest, they lose engagement. So did you help them reconnect with that purpose in that Toronto-based healthcare organization that Larry was responsible for? You, it's. I, I always tell people like changing culture is like uplifting an old oak tree. How do you uplift an old oak tree in your front yard? Not very easily, right? If the tree was planted a month or two ago, you can, oh, I don't like where it is and let me pick it up and move it over. But the larger your organization becomes and the longer your 
organization has been established. Changing things takes time. And again, this is not, oh, a quick consult, we're in for a week and now we're out. It's a very slow process. Where did you start? Obviously, you surveyed them to find out that they were feeling the disconnect. How do you start something in order to create an intervention to help people create a culture where people like to work? Yeah. Because what I believe in, and I'm sure you do too, Randy, is finding the quick wins. It's not the total solution, but at least you give people a sense that you're moving in the right direction and it builds that sense of credibility and confidence in working with you in order to move forward to the more difficult and longer journey ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking for quick wins, Bill, if you're wanting to, me to give you some emphasis on that, it's involving people, right? Top-down decisions from the C-suite regularly actually have a great impact, right? And so you do need to involve authentically. And again, for those of you who are a small business, you got 10, 15 staff. This is actually quite easy. We get our 10, 15 staff in a room at the same time. We hash this out. We say, let's be authentic about our values. Let's not let that, let's not have them be these pretend things that we say that we do and don't do. But for those of you in organizations of 100, 200, 1,000, obviously that becomes much more difficult. And what we, what we did in a larger organization is we began to have some focus groups with people to help us and bringing in some of our senior leadership. But when we work within a small, I'll give you an example, Bill. When we work within a small organization that was a manufacturing organization in small town Michigan, we, we small town Lowell, Michigan, we, we, we work with the leader, the executive director, or excuse me, the, the CEO there whose name was Tom. And we were able just to get in and really quick order, hash some of this stuff out and really help them move forward in a much healthier way. Randy, I think a lot of companies listening to this have been in pandemic lockdown for a year. And on the one hand, they don't necessarily know because you, you miss the kind of cues that you get just by walking down the hall and the whole management by walking around, gauging of how a culture is doing. What have you noticed in terms of leadership and management in their ability to assess how the culture is by asking different questions or engaging their people in different activities during the pandemic lockdown when we're doing a lot of meetings via video conference? What's been effective? I'll tell you what's both been effective and ineffective. It, it, I, I, I talk to people and, and friends within a variety of different industries who sometimes aren't talking to their staff. And that doesn't work. So one of the things, and I'll use our own organization as an example here, we're an organization of 20 employees and we have a senior leadership team and we are extremely intentional about connecting with our staff via Zoom, via phone on a regular basis. I've seen how they're doing, touching base with them. And so I, I am appalled at how many people aren't having regular conversations with their employees. That just a bit, because Randy, a lot of people who I've been in contact with, managers are telling me, I do. I started meeting and say, how's everyone doing? And then after 30 seconds, maybe one or two people nod and say, great. They move on to the business at hand. Are you doing something different than that? Actually having dedicated meetings or asking different questions than how you doing? Yeah, absolutely. One, you're having individual check-ins, not large group check-ins. So absolutely you're doing that, but you're also having those individual check-ins. And I think the question, how you're doing is actually an appropriate question, but it's slowing down enough to go, how are you really doing? And then not being in a rush to move on to whatever topic that you have at hand. And we have some of our staff who, who they work alone by themselves. They don't live with anybody. And absolutely, the as the pandemic draws on and as we're more and more disconnected, we're seeing even within our own staff, some unique things happen where we see some of our staff actually working too hard because they got nothing else to do. So now I'm getting emails from them on the weekend. So is that the clue that you saw that 
maybe someone on your team was sending an email at nine o'clock on a Saturday, a.m. or p.m. What was it that really tipped you off that maybe that was an issue you needed to address even within your own team? Yeah, no, you we have we have established worked hard to establish a transparent, open culture. And so thankfully, we went into the pandemic with a healthy culture. And I want to be honest with the viewers here. We didn't always have a healthy workplace culture. It's something we worked for. And if we get into some of those other conversations, Bill, I can tell you when we weren't a healthy culture and what we had to do our, ourselves to get out of it. But I always like to say that so people don't think that I'm just talking from a position of that we had this figured out. Let's establish it. It doesn't occur automatically or by magic. It happens intentionally and through careful, intentional steps that create healthy cultures in all organizations. And it often happens after something bad has happened, when things are not well. So we went through a period of time where we weren't healthy and mistakes were happening and productive was productivity was going down and staff was leaving. And so then it was like, oh, we got to do something better in order to get us to where we need to be. What was it that caused you to draw a line in the stand and say, this can't go on any longer? Was it a particular error that was made with a delivery? Was it missing a meeting? What was it that really was the last straw for you where you said, wait a second, we've got to devote some attention internally, not just externally? Yeah, the biggest issue was we had allowed conflict to exhalate to the point. I've always been a person when it comes to conflict that I feel like I'm I'm not mad. I don't need to manage a bunch of five-year-olds. Like we're not in kindergarten anymore. Can't you guys figure this out. And so my approach was always just to avoid it and let them play it out in a sandbox. But what happened is we allowed that conflict to escalate to the point where people were sabotaging each other's work. And then they were intentionally allowing mistakes to happen that made us look bad in the eyes of other clients. And so then it became clear that this is not acceptable. This is not long-term success. So we need to actually scratch what we're doing and start over. And the first step, of course, there is to call it out and say, this can't continue. And then you do the kind of longer term relationship repair that led to that kind of conflict and that dynamic in the workplace. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was meeting with everybody and meeting with, and unfortunately, at the part of this process of our history, we ended up letting someone go. There is that sometimes we do have, quote, those bad apples that are really a person. Sometimes there's a, they're a culture, sometimes they're a process or a protocol, but everyone knows the experience of doing the happy dance when that one person leaves. For a month, everyone is just on cloud nine. So that was was one of our cases, and then we moved on to some other. That's a really interesting question that managers can ask themselves. It's just a hypothetical question. What would happen if this person wasn't here? I remember the first time I asked that question, and the the CEO looked at me and said, "I think our sales would go up." Wow, that's an important that's an important indicator. That was his first response because there was such resentment, and that person required so much handholding and attention and cover up that people were distracted and delays were being caused, tending to all of the ways that person disrupted the culture. And when the objective is to create a healthier culture, you have to ask hard questions or at least different questions than you have been asking. Randy, let me ask you, building professional relationships is a key component of cultivating a desirable workplace culture. You write about it in the book. What's an example of a team that you worked with that made an improvement in this area of having those professional relationships elevated to a higher level? Yeah, I was working with an insurance company and Mary was the, the director of the department 
department there. And they 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 needed issues around culture was and what's one of the things we talk about in the book was that they were in in my opinion and my assessment from the outside looking in. Mary came to me and said, We're just we're not functioning at the level we need to be functioning. Can you help us out and think about what's going on? And one of the things I observed, and I've seen this in other organizations as well, is when we have that independent silo, I come in, I do my job, I'm not part of a team. And I do, I move my papers around and I do these things well, but that's all I do versus what are we doing together? And so it's one of those things where I coach not just Mary, but the other people as well to say, we need to become more collaborative in the work that you do. If you become more collaborative and you work on things together, we are working towards our mission and vision, not I am working to finish this one paper for this client and now I can check out and be gone for the day. And that's one of the principles that we talk about in our book, The Culture question as well is the, the it's very difficult to establish a culture if we don't work together as a team and, and let's, that's right and you can hear it in someone's description of their work you could actually hear a dominance of first person singular pronouns versus the collaborative we or even showing awareness as to what happens when this deliverable is complete and i hand this off to mike and then mike can follow through this way and the quality of my work is dependent is what mike can do is dependent upon what I bring to the situation, how I resolve this case enables Mike to be more successful in his work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that naturally, it's, so it's very difficult. And, and, and again, that helps the culture because if, how do we establish a healthy work culture if we don't work together, if we don't know each other, if we don't have any sense of identity as a collective? It goes right to the definition of company. Company is a group of people working together for a common purpose. And if leaders and managers don't understand what that purpose is, they're not able to articulate it, they're not expressing and reinforcing and recognizing when that's in place, you're missing a big opportunity to change the culture in small ways because a culture doesn't get created overnight and it also doesn't decline overnight. It happens over time through every interaction, through every conversation, through every email, through every check-in. I like what you say there, and, and that, that culture doesn't happen quickly, it doesn't decline quickly. I, I, I use the example that culture is rarely static. Like even on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, it goes up lightly, it goes down lightly, but it is prone to that fast snowball effect of going downhill. It, it can go down a lot quicker than it can go up. And so it's crucial, and I, a lot of leaders say to me, Randy, I just don't have time to constantly be thinking about culture. And I'm like, but it's your competitive advantage, right? If you have a healthy workplace culture, you you retain employees, you become a place where people want to work. And of course, innovation and collaboration are going to go up. And so is your sales if you're in the business of making money. It is such an essential characteristic and responsibility for the senior managers in a company to always have their eye on the culture and be taking its temperature to see if it's where it wants to be. Because similar to a thermostat, the culture will vary up and down between a certain set point. And if you're able to assess that, you can direct it. You can raise it when you need it, or you can lower when you need it. Yeah. And Bill, what I want to really dial in here, and you're using that analogy of the thermostat, and I'm going to I'm gonna take that a little bit further and say, your main floor is actually fine. The issue's on the third floor. It's not set well. Because one of the things that we found in our research is that most cultures are not all bad or all good. Most people 
are, there's actually not that many cultures where it's a terrible place to work. But unfortunately, we found that our cultures are not also an amazing place to work. Rather, there are parts to our culture that are good, aka the main floor is good in, in terms of the temperature, but there are parts to our culture that are not. And so again, that notion of being able to dial in on what areas of your culture need help. And, and another thing I would say about culture is, is my teenage daughter now, she's almost 18. Her name's Anna. And she's famous for, she's famous like many any other 17 and 8 years old of saying meh. And so my culture isn't all good or all bad. It's just meh. It's okay. And so most of us are not fixing terrible cultures. We're fixing meh. And if everyone, if all of your competitors are meh and you took six months or a year to add some programs and to develop some practices and incorporate routines, you could stand out from the crowd with so little effort and become an organization that people instantly recognized and envied because of the kind of culture you create. You know, the moment that I figured out that we went from that bad workplace to we're pretty good is when one of my staff said, my mom is working for this big multinational bank and she hates her culture and she knows that we have a job coming up and she knows it's a pay decrease but she wants to work here. Can she apply? That was like, okay. So we're finally getting to a place where our staff are telling their friends and family, this is a great place to work. You should work here. That's where you want to get to the point. That's right. Because that's the ultimate branding. It's the people who are on the front line sharing what a great experience they have or how understanding their teammates and their colleagues are. Randy, do you have an example from someone you worked with that implemented a couple practices? And it may not be the same practices in every company, but by adopting one or two of these practices, it seemed to really move the needle. They were like keystone practices for people to improve their culture. Yeah. We work a lot with healthcare in, in the consulting and training work that we do. And we were working with it in a rural community, a small little hospital. And and the head of the hospital's name was, was Larry. And he he was a bit of an old school person. He'd been around in the institution for a long time. But he was also one of my favorite types of leader is, is, is the type of leader who says to me, I used to be an old school leader, but I realize it's not working anymore. And now I need to, I'm, I'm slowly making my way into this new age model of leadership where I'm caring and empathetic. And so I'm, I'm this reluctant, caring leader, reluctant, empathetic leader, but I need to know I need to move in that direction. But it was a very simple change. And this is an example is just a practical thing. Doctors had their own lunchroom and then everybody else, nurses, social workers, all the allied health profession had there. And it was pretty clear that there was just this separation of like, this wasn't good for the culture. And there was no reason. There was actually no practical reason to have separate lunchrooms. And so we go a step further. Were there hot meals in the doctor's lunchroom and everyone else had cold sandwiches? We can tell that story, but that's not the true story. But I'm sure that maybe existed somewhere. Else. Might have even been perceived by the people who never had a chance to go into that lunchroom. It might have been their fantasy that they're not just only getting hot meals, but they're probably getting fresh squeezed juice in the morning and the massages when they come off their shift. Absolutely, right? And I'll, I'm going to give you another example when I'm done with this that, that is outside of the healthcare that kind of gets to what you're talking about there. So anyway, the, the point is, what's what's when it comes to culture change, I always say, make small changes quick. Anything that you can see that you can quickly make the change and say, you know what, actually, we're going to turn that second lunchroom into a yoga studio that everybody can use. And then we're going to use the, the lunchroom for everybody. So make small, quick changes. What they changed is they turned that lunchroom into a yoga studio for everybody to use. So on your lunch break, now you can either go to the lunchroom and we were 
together as a team, doctors, nurses, and allied health professionals could eat lunch together, or we could go do yoga together. And it was a small change that that leader made and had the power to make. And that's one of the, one of the, you know, jumping a little bit over, over the place here, Bill, but one of the things that's important is to have some level of leadership involved in your culture change team so that they can make these quick decisions. When you see something that isn't well, do it. Terrific. You mentioned that you were going to share another example that had to do with the perception of people. What was that example? Do you recall? Yeah, yeah. It's the classic thing that happens. This is not just one organization. This is multiple organizations where, where uh, you know, if you're a business, the C-suite goes off to, Ta- to Vegas or Tahoe or Banff or wherever. If you're a not-for-profit agency, you go to the local gymnasium. But whatever. The point is the senior level leadership team leaves and goes away and they're working. Because, of course, when you bring a bag of golf, your bag of golf or your tennis racket, Bill, I know you love tennis. So when you go off with your, of course, you're working on the tennis court and you, and then you never communicate with staff about what's going on. And there's all kinds of those perceptions about what are you doing? You're not really working. And I am all for offsite gatherings. I think sometimes that can be really beneficial for leadership teams to really dial in about what, what they're, what they need to be doing. But I think we need to be transparent with our staff. We need to communicate back to our staff. This is what we're doing. Anytime that we had achieved, go away. And, and we, we come back and say, this is what we were doing. This is what we came up with. And we give them information. Communication with your frontline staff is so critical. I, I completely agree. And I'm so glad to hear that you made that change at Achieve because now you get to live the example that you're encouraging others to make as well. Randy, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Let me have my sip of coffee and then I'll be ready. So at the beginning of the interview, I asked about someone who influenced or inspired you and you talked about your coach, your basketball coach. When you were a teenager, Randy, what's a song that you loved? Oh my goodness. I get a chance to warm up for this. Yeah, I'm terrible at remember anything let me see oh summer of 69 brian adams there you go i love that song how's that go got my first real six string bought it at the five and i didn't know i was going to be singing bill but here i am (laughs) do you have a tool or system that you use to help you stay productive and on track i'm an old school calendar type of guy i i got pen and paper i have a notebook where i write down my 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 daily list and my daily goals so i don't use a lot of the fancy new technology but i'm a big believer in the old notebook anytime i have an idea i just write something what would you say is the best business advice you've ever received that's a good question from an old manager of mine his name was ken he always struck me and he's since retired but he always struck me it always struck me just be kind be nice to people and i've always come back to that like one of the most important things we can do as leaders is just be a nice person and good things will happen. Fill in the blank for me. I know I'm being successful when... When others in my life, when those that work with me are excited and motivated to still work with me, to still work towards that mission and vision. It's not about me. It's about us as a collective. And if you think back over the last year, what a year it's been, what's the most important habit, skill, or routine, or let me say again, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's led to the most pleasure or personal satisfaction for you? That I've stopped. I was going to, I knew what I was going to say if I was going to go. What did I stop this this year? I'll be honest. I've been able to relax 
relax more. I've stopped. I've stopped. But like I've, I've in the middle of the day, I might exercise. Where before COVID, I would, oh, I got to work all day long. And then in the evening, I'm going to get it in. Where I've been like, you know what? I, I can exercise whenever I want. Maybe at 10 o'clock, I'm going to put on a, I'm going to put on the Bill Ringgold podcast and work out at 10 o'clock. And- That'll get the blood going. Yeah. Randy, you have mentioned that there are two questions that you get companies to focus on in the culture question. One is, how does your organization's culture impact how much people like to work here? And the second is, what can we do to make it better? When someone's listening to those two questions or reading it in the culture question book, what are some of the common mistakes that they make? And what are one or two tips you can offer to help people dial in and get tangible, measurable results even faster. Thanks for asking that question because because I, I feel like we really we haven't quite touched on it yet. And I want to talk about that. The mistake that people make with culture is they they what I call it, they Google it, right? They say, oh, let's just perk this company out. Let's get ping pong tables and free beer on Friday night and bring your pet today and free yoga in the studio at lunch times. And it's perks are perks. Like perks are nice to have, but at the end of the day, if my boss is a jerk. Those perks don't help me. At the end of the day, if the work I do doesn't have meaning, doesn't have purpose, those perks don't help me. So I'm not saying not to do perks, but you can't do perks and check. Now you're done with culture. Randy, you have been so helpful in helping us really understand the culture question and starting off with letting us know how, what an imprint and what an impact your basketball coach had made in your life and how when you need to know something, you know what it's like to go out and figure out what are the skills you need, what's the knowledge you need and to go work it. You talked about how important it is to get engagement at companies. And if people aren't engaged, there need to be changes made. You talked about differences in a small rural hospital that led to people actually asking the question of what needs to change and coming up with the fact that segregated separate workrooms for doctors and the rest of the healthcare staff created a rift. And simply by turning that into a yoga studio that everyone could use, it suddenly created a much healthier culture that people really enjoyed coming to work. And you helped us identify that it's not the superficial aspects that make a, a better culture in a company. It's actually addressing some of those underlying issues, such as having better relationships at work, such as making sure that people understand what their purpose is and how they contribute to the success of the company, making sure that the teams are succeeding and actually accomplishing work. Those are the real reasons that create a, a great culture within a workplace. So Randy, for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you for again for joining me on my quest for the best. Yeah, thanks for having me here. It's been great. Randy, before we say goodbye for now, tell me, where is that we could find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, uh, just Google Achieve Center for Leadership or AchieveCenter.com, and we use uh, the RE for center. So AchieveCenterRE.com. Got it. We're going to put a link in the show notes to make it super easy for people to find your website. We're also going to link to this book, The Culture Question, as well as your other books. We're also going to link to your social media so that when people come to read the show notes from this episode, it's going to be super easy to find out more about you and what you're up to these days. So Randy Greaser, author of The Culture Question, thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks, Bill, for having me here. It's been great to be here. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. 
You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.